Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the next episode of An Ordinary King. Now, it's been a little while, I know. Uh, terribly sorry about that. But uh, COVID, work, uh, different bits and pieces going on in my life. Uh, so, <clears throat> but uh, here we are, next episode. And this one's, I'm pretty stoked about. I've been uh, waiting for a little while to get this one up and running. Uh, so a very good friend of mine, Brian Kiss Von Solly, uh, just recently broke a Guinness World Record and uh, I just you know, absolutely had to get him on the podcast to talk about it. Just incredible, incredible stuff. Um, I'll let him tell you what, what it's about. It's, uh, it's an amazing story. Anyway, uh, I, I really won't hold it up. Uh, buckle in. It's a really good podcast, this one. I'm so stoked. And uh, thanks, Brian, as well, for jumping on and... Um, sharing a beer with me and having a chat about your experience and your adventure. Awesome stuff. Here he is, Brian Kiss Von Solly. That's no, it's, it's recording. recording. Okay. Just, I'll, just, I'll just listen back to, to some, I don't know how, but I'll listen back to it if I can totally sweet. Brother. Hello. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Cheers. On uh, breaking a world record. Uh-huh. Thank you. <clears throat> I, wanted to, I just want to talk about that just straight up because it's fucking incredible. I don't know. I honestly can't think of anyone else that I know that's actually broken a world record. Yeah, Guinness World Record. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. So what did you break and then how the fuck did you do it? So I broke the, it's like the longest kite journey solo by a male. Um, the previous record was 862 kilometers by, I think it was, uh, uh, was it from Brazil, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I went from ocean shores, my, my house pretty much just in ocean shores to my parents' house in Melbourne. And that was, I don't know, it's about 1800 kilometers or something. So just for, because there's some people in, uh, all over the world that'll hear this ocean shores is a fucking long way from Melbourne. How, how far is it? Yeah. Uh, it's just North of Byron Bay and it's yeah it's about 1800 kilometers by road yeah. i think it's or a long way 16 yeah. it took me, took me like seven hours yeah. seven hours yeah. yeah yeah but yeah a lot longer by coast and if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you include all the tax and everything then yeah it's probably closer to 2000 is that what you did yeah fuck yeah how long did it take you to do it about three months so and so I've had a lot of questions, like I've told some people about this in Melbourne, like, oh, a good friend of mine just broke a Guinness World Record. Or actually when you were doing it, it was like, oh he's you know, he's kite surfing from I said the Gold Coast to Melbourne and they were like What does that mean? I was like, well, he's, <laughs> it's kite surfing from Gold Coast to Melbourne. He's, he's doing like what in one go? Like, no, no, you're stopping and sh-. so what so what were yeah. your what was what was your day to day like? Um so I was checking the wind every day yeah, and I would pretty much um, have different waypoints set. Um, I'd have about three waypoints set for the day. Um, you know, I'd have a, a, you know, pretty close 
point where I could just get to. And then if I got to that point, then I'd um, readjust that to the next waypoint. Sure. And then if I got to that point, then I'd readjust it to the next one. So oh, there's kind of three waypoints set <laughs> during the during the day. And yeah, I'd just kite to the first one, see if I could make it, evaluate if I could get to the next one, and then reevaluate if I can get to the next one. And so there would have been obviously days, because it's quite weather reliant, there would have been days where you wouldn't have been able to kite surf at all. Yeah, yeah. So, and what's the rules within the Guinness World Record then that, that is there like a set number of days that you, that you can have off before you, the, the record becomes number <clears throat> Yeah, it has to be a continuous journey um, and you can't stay put for more than 14 days unless it's an excuse. So, Good, like a hurricane or something. Um, like a hurricane, yeah, I guess that's a pretty good <laughs> excuse. Um, if there's no wind, if you're injured. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I guess you just have to play it by ear. But, Fuck. Yeah. So it's one continuous journey and, yeah, that's what it was. So I left on the 28th of December and, yeah, it took me a lot longer than I thought. How long did you think it was going to take? I thought it was going to take a month. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Month, yeah. Is that, so and that's where well, you would have been calculating, what, like how many hundred kilometres a day or something like that? Yeah, actually the first trip, the first leg, I thought I could get to Coffs Harbour in the one leg. And it was in one day? Yeah, in one day. And it takes about three hours by road or two, maybe two and a half sure. by road. Yeah. Um, but I didn't take into consideration the weight of my backpack, the weight of the water and right. things like that. So the, oh, the amount of water you were carrying. Yeah. Sure. In normal conditions, I probably could have done that distance, but... Yeah, it was it was a overachievement of actually getting to Coffs <laughs> Harbour in the one, and it took me oh, probably about two weeks to get to Coffs. I think. Oh, well, that's a gross over exaggeration. But not yeah, but not every day kite in sure. just because there's no wind days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what? So what's in your back? So what are you taking with you? So because what is your day to day like? So you you check the wind. So that's why yeah. I just want to know everything. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, so generally a day before, like I'll pretty much know what the wind conditions are doing yeah. for the next day. Um, you're constantly checking the wind because it always changes. It can change sure. that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why you had three waypoints. Yeah. 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 And, and also, um, you know, you don't sort of want to be stuck in the middle of nowhere. You want somewhere where there's a pub or there's you know there's like food that you can get there's actual civilization so the waypoints that i set were like pubs or bowls clubs or sure. places where there was you know easy access to get water and things like that or camp because you were camping or camping the, yeah you were camping along the way yeah that so that was your accommodation was that in shared houses is that right yeah pretty much so i had a dry backpack as a 65 liter dry backpack yeah and inside that I had a sleeping bag, a sleeping hammock, um, a tarp that went over the, the hammock. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yep. And um, what else did I have? I had a tiny little cooker, some rice, some quinoa. Um, Seaweed. Yeah, it's adults, <laughs> of course. You live off that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was pretty much that. That was the essentials that I had. Um, and then I had one t-shirt that I could just change into. I had um, a pair of board shorts that um, that was my only shorts. That was it. That was my only clothes that I had. 
and a pair of undies and two rashies on me and yeah like a sack of water like, like a bladder a cam- of water was it like a camel bag like a camel bag yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it just sort of slung slang slungs slangs slang. yeah slang slang, slang. slang. <laughs> <laughs> it um yeah it goes over your shoulder pretty much just a bladder of water and so and how did it have like a hose you were drinking from it yeah it's just got like a little um tap on it that you can just open with your teeth drink while you while i was kiting i could just drink from it and then close it back up with my Is teeth that hard and then, to do no nah, no nah. it's pretty easy yeah yeah that's crazy yeah so what was day what was day one like day one there was lots of nerves just like i felt like i was high when i was going down um the beach um yeah got down there um i, I told a few people so you know there was a few people down yeah, there yeah. on the launch yeah I didn't want to tell too many people just because, you know, it was it was a pretty nerve-wracking thing for me just to, like, set sail into the unknown. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of emotions going through uh, myself. And, yeah, first day, pumped up the kite um, and then, yeah, headed off and said just wave goodbye and um, went out to Julian Rocks, saw a turtle, kept going, <laughs> kept going, um, and I landed in like just after Lennox, I think it was. Oh, right. It's distance. Um, yeah, because I, ha- I had a, f- a problem with the GoPro, so I had to pull over pretty much and take the battery out and then put it back in. Then kept going and made it to Patches Beach, which nice. is like eight kilometres south of Ballina. Yeah. Eight kilometres south of Ballina. So, yeah. So, what's going through. Aside from just the nerves, what's going through your head on that first day while you're doing it? Is you just are you just focusing purely on the waypoints, or are you are you thinking about the end goal? Or well, there's a was lot. Melbourne the end goal? Yeah, Melbourne was the end goal right. to my parents' house. Yeah, um, and yeah, I thought I could do it in forty days, about a month. I actually took forty four days of annual leave off of work, <laughs> thinking that I was going to go back to work, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I got halfway and I yeah, quit my job so I could keep doing it. Um, but yeah, day one was was intense and great and um, just camped in the beach, like camped in the dunes at pa- in Patches Beach yeah. and like there's pretty much nothing there. It's just houses. There's no pub. There's no, there's no general store or anything there. It's just residential houses and I just camped in the dunes got some water off the, um, just knocked on a house and got some water. What did you say to them? Can I have some water? (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was actually going to use the tap water, but then someone said, no, don't drink that because, yeah, it's not safe for drinking. Is that because of the the gas fields and stuff like that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it was, but it's like, it's not fit for drinking, that tap water. Interesting. Yeah, you have to get those proper rainwater or something like that. So maybe it's boar water. Maybe it was boar oh, water. Okay, it's boar water. So yeah, maybe yeah, it's like yeah. potentially there's, affected yeah. by the, the uh, what did they call it? They do a lot of they did fracking up here, didn't they? Did they? Well, did I they didn't want know that. to? Is that sure. what the whole shut the gate things about up up here? Um, yeah, potentially. I know Queensland does a lot of it. Yeah, but I'm that's not. What I'm I think of. this whole community is like yeah, gas filled free for the majority of it. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, why why did you do it? Um, I was in need of a holiday in my life, and I was just in need of an adventure. And um, I thought, 
yeah, I wanted to go to my parents' house. <laughs> and, um, yeah, at the same time, I just thought, you know, let's, yeah, let's, let's try, try this. So, um, yeah, I pretty, I did some research of like what I needed to, um, you know, needed to, to get to do the trip. So I got a backpack, got a dry backpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the water sack, got a GoPro, um, bought a brand new kite just because you want reliability with these kind of things. So I had a brand new kite, um, uh, got a GPS watch, uh, EPIRB. What's an oh, emergency? Yeah, emergency beacon. beacon. So if anything goes wrong, you can, yeah, it pretty much just calls the Coast Guard. Yeah. And um, yeah, and got everything and then. 28th of December was the day that the first day of wind that I thought that I could leave and left. So when did you decide that you wanted to do it? So you'd obviously waited for a few days. Was it like, how, how long before you left had you decided that you wanted to do that? I registered it for a Guinness World Record. I think it was in June or July. Oh, right. Of the, of before December. 20, yeah, 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 2020. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you ha- and you have to register for the Guinness World Record before you make the attempt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You let them know what you're about to attempt, what yeah. you're going to attempt, <clears throat> and then yeah. So registered it and then did the research of what I thought I needed. Got all this. Got all the gear, and um, yeah. Then then left. It was actually like the, on the 28th of December was the first time I used that backpack, and it was the first time I used that board that I got as well. So, well, I know what it's yeah. like to use a backpack for the first time on a big trek. <laughs> the first few days it are broke, pretty uncomfortable. It, it broke the first day. No! What happened? Um, they're, they're just not made for the, um, the sort of chatter that you get and the forces that the backpack just jumps up and down on your back as you go over the waves. Yeah, sure. And some of the, the webbing on the waist strap, it broke. And then I had to, um, I actually had some spare webbing with me that I had to fix it up at, in Patches Beach. So, and then it lasted me all the way to Melbourne. Wow. <laughs> that little, yeah, that little fix that I did. So yeah, I got lucky. I got really lucky. <laughs> Holy shit. So, so, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot. So it's, it took three times longer to do than you thought it was, than you thought it yeah. was. Did, yeah. Was there anything else along the way where you were like, okay, you made it to Coffs Harbour. It's taken two weeks, which is half the amount of time you thought it was going to take to get to Melbourne. You were hoping to be what, past Sydney at that point. Yeah, and it, like to be fair, it was a really bad season for wind. Right, it was quite quiet. Is that yeah, right? usually you get like two or three days a week of northerly winds. Yeah. This time of the year or in um, November, November, yeah. December, January, February, March is windy. And it's always northerlies. And I was relying on that two to three days a week, every every week to get me down. But there were days, there were like, you know, I was in Jeringong for like 14 days. Where's that? Um, Wherry Beach, um, south of Wollongong. Okay, oh, so it's yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, near Kiama. Yeah, yeah. Kiama's beautiful. Yeah, Jeringong's even better. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do for 14? Where were you for 14, like two I weeks? I was in a hammock. Um... I was sleeping in a hammock. It was raining lots and I was at the bowls club a lot. <laughs> um, got a, I actually got a membership at that bowls club. 
to help with the or well, they gave you one or no I, I bought one it was like five bucks for a, a membership just so I could get cheaper beers <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I spent a bit of time there in Jangong um, yeah played played golf with the local and yeah met some really good people there it was great and you were all the time just waiting for wind yeah yeah and then I thought I was going to leave like I was there for like I don't know, seven or eight days, and I thought I was going to leave, um, but the forecast was wrong. I pumped my kite up and everything. I was waiting for the wind. Forecast was wrong, um, so I packed it back up there for another seven. Oh. And um, yeah, that was that was like pretty brutal. So, just waiting. So the the so with the kite as well, because there's lots of different like a, I, I imagine like a I don't know a lot about kite surfing. But I imagine like a yacht, I imagine there's different sizes to capture different amounts mm-hmm. of winds. And so how did you go about picking the right kite for the, yeah, and the um, board as well? Because that, did, that, did that come into consideration? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, for my body weight, um, I chose a nine meter kite. That's kind of like a, a sweet size for general winds that you get. Um, for my body weight sure so about 15 to 20 knots is what you'd normally get of northerly winds and that's that nine meter kite is perfect for my size and i i got a a 5.4 surfboard as well um that sort of you know happily matches that it's actually a a lot more buoyancy than than i I really needed for that size of kite then why did you go for that then just um, so if, if you're going to go out in windier conditions, you'd go a smaller kite than sure. nine meter. Yeah. Um, so you'd go like a seven meter, but I obviously didn't have the luxury no, to having another, having another kite. So, um, yeah, nine meter was the, just the sweet sort of in the middle sort of size. And, you know, if the wind does go up to 25 knots or 30 knots, which it did even to 35 knots, you can still hold down that nine, that nine meter. For how long? Um, it, it doesn't fly as well and it's not as easy to control and everything, but um, you can still do it. So so there was moments where your kite, where the wind was too much for your kite where you were out there? Uh, yes, there was one moment where it was like scarily too windy. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're going downwind as well, you, you want, you want, a lot of wind because then you can go directly with the wind sure yeah, yeah, yeah but the most efficient way of using the wind is going across the wind so um yeah i don't know i just picked nine meter and it worked out really well like it was so you wouldn't change it if you wouldn't would. change no. no and and that kite as well it's got heaps of grunt it's a north kite and it's yeah best kite i've ever flown do you still use it yeah. yeah, well, I, I, there's no wind at the no, moment. No, it's nothing. It's winter no, here yeah. in Byron and there hasn't been any wind. It's rained a lot. Has. It's rained a lot. God, God damn it. Jesus, it's so wet. <laughs> so what was the, what was it like that, that day that the wind was too much? Where were you? What, what sort of happened? What was, what was running through your head when it was going a bit too much as well? Yeah, so um, there, there were really windy days. I think it was around... Uh, the, the windiest day that I was out there was um, I left Kurrarong, went around Jervis Bay and the wind the wind died and I was four nautical miles offshore. Jeez. And so, yeah, my kite went down 
um, so yeah, 8K offshore. And yeah, kite went down and I'm just sitting in the water pretty much um, on my surfboard, on, <laughs> yeah, on the board, just sitting there. And I knew that the, the, the southerly change was going to come, but it came early. And, um, yeah, when it came back up in the other direction, the southerly change, it started at about, you know, 10, well, it started at five knots, went to 10, built to 15, 20, and it was, it was like 35 knots gusting to 40 or something like, like 45. It was, it was heavy. It was the windiest I've ever been out in and yeah, managed to get back into shore, but yeah, that was a pretty... What's, what goes through your mind? Because you're a long way off as well. Yeah. You, are, you, are you like, I, I can sustain this or I just need to get the fuck back in? Well, the sun was going down, so I didn't... <laughs> you were running out of time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was running out of time. But yeah, again, I got lucky and the suddenly change came back up. It was way windier than ideal conditions, but um, yeah, managed to get back in. And yeah, that was a bit of a holy shit moment when I was out there. But when you're out there... Um, you know kind of in survival mode I guess you kind of just um, you're just dealing with the situation you're not really thinking about the you're just thinking about what do I do next yeah 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 rather than um, oh shit oh shit yeah because yeah but then afterwards when I actually got on to land there was a yeah like holy shit that was that was pretty gnarly kind of moment what did you do yeah Um, it was the, there was kind of there was no one on the beach the sun was like pretty much just down and there was yeah a kind of grateful kind of kiss the kiss of the sand and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah like a lot of adrenaline run, running through me fuck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was intense it was intense but um, yeah everything worked out and then I ended up walking walking to the nearest house and I was just like drenched, soaking wet, um, just had everything around me and walked up to the nearest house that had their lights on and explained the story. I'm like, oh, can I please rinse myself off? Can I, can I just um, rinse my kite off at least? And they said, oh yeah, come in, have a hot shower. Wow. And um, yeah, yeah, met some lovely people. So I think I would have um, cried in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking that moment for yeah. like, shit. Actually, when I got out of the shower, um, I checked my phone. I had about 50 missed calls and um, someone someone was watching. It was actually my sister that was watching me, Serenka at the time. She was watching me, um, I think someone else as well. And um, they saw that my tracker had stopped while I was out there. When I, when I was eight nautical miles offshore, my tracker had stopped and it actually stopped... Um, because I activated my SOS, the EPIR, <laughs> just in case. And then, so this is at 6.29, I activated the SOS. In the, in the evening. The EPIR, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just in case I was out there when it was dark, like it can take an hour or two or maybe three to get um, rescue out there to your location. So I initiated the SOS at 6.29 and then I cancelled it at 6.45 so it was 15 minutes kind of in between the, okay, I'm in trouble, activate SOS, and then the wind came back up. So right, I was so back you, up. Yeah, so you and activated I, prior to the wind coming up when you were just sitting on the water. Yeah, sitting yeah. in the water. 
Yeah, and then cancelled the SOS at 6.45. I was back on the board, so cancelled the SOS <laughs> and um, made it into shore. Yeah, anyway, so walked up to the house. After the shower, um, yeah, checked my phone. There was like 50 missed calls. And what had happened is when I initiated the SOS, the tracker stopped. So there's a... There's a tracker that uh, part of the EPIRB is that people can go into a website and then follow me like live. And it, it's um, like a, a satellite beacon that updates my location every yeah. two minutes. And um, yeah, so yeah, when I initiated the SOS, the track had stopped. People that were watching my sister freaked out and then she called the Coast Guard. And I think someone else called the Coast Guard as well. Yeah, Jess, she called the Coast Guard. And um, there was a helicopter circling um, where I was in Manana um, and they were looking for me because they thought I was still out there because my tracker had stopped and then it was like, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock by this stage after I've gotten out of the shower. And um, I was in the shower for a while, by the way. <laughs> it was a good shower. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice hot shower after a pretty big ordeal, just like... I mean, I just would have been decompressing and then yeah. I would have sat on the floor and just that. been like, holy fuck. Yeah. That's a bit of that. Um, yeah, so that was the first helicopter that got called for me. Oh, there was more than one? <laughs> I thought there was only one. Yeah. Shit. That was, that was, um, so how do, you, how do you cancel? How do you cancel? Do you just like switch the emergency beacon off and like that the, the, the emittance off? Yeah, is it so, just a switch or do you have to like, is it like a, does it work like a pager system worked, work, used to work? Yeah, it's like a pager system through the satellite. Right. And um, the EPIRB is by a company called Garmin and um, it's, oh, it's probably the size of a phone and it sits in a waterproof case and then I've got a Garmin watch which navigates me to where I want to go. Um, so just a navigation watch and they talk to each other. So the Garmin watch acts as a remote to the, um, to the Garmin EPIRB. So I can initiate the SOS from my watch. That's brilliant. Yeah, I know. Really good tech. Well, and man. without that tech, without the, the EPIRB, like I, I wouldn't have done it. Like it, you, you don't do that kind of stuff solo. <laughs> it's no. kind of a suicide mission if you don't have like a backup um, emergency service. In case you, because I was pretty far out, like a lot of the time. The, yeah, the furthest I was out was probably about 15k offshore. And like when you're that far out, you can't see land. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long way, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so the yeah. helicopter was searching. So, but they obviously didn't. So when you cancel the service, it doesn't, it doesn't send a message to them saying that you're okay. It just, it just, so they could either, either read it either way. That, that you're okay or you're still not okay and something's happened to the emergency beacon? It actually glitched out. The Yeah, the EPIRB glitched out. So what I think happened was there was a glitch between the, um, the remote, my watch, and the EPIRB where my watch said that it was in SOS mode, but I should have checked the actual EPIRB to make sure that it was transmitting for SOS. And um, I called the Coast Guard later on that night because the Coast Guard were calling me. That's After where the, the real missed calls yeah. were, were from. And they never received an SOS from the EPIRB. So um, 
yeah, it actually didn't work. The EPIRB didn't work. It, it was, I think what happened though, it was the watch didn't communicate with the EPIRB, but my watch, the remote was saying that it was calling SOS. And no, knowing what I know now, I should have checked my EPIRB to make sure it was transmitting SOS. And if it wasn't, then I should have manually op- opened the case up and then pushed the SOS button on the EPIRB and yeah, that definitely yeah. would have worked. Um, and I would have carried another backup EPIRB as well. So you would have had two EPIRBs. I should have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but pretty scary that it didn't actually work. And When did um, you find out that it didn't work when you made it to... after once that, once uh, that Yeah, after I got out of the shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had the 50 missed calls and then, um, yeah, had to... I, I, I called, like I, you know, got back to the police and the police came over, got my story um, and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then I called the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard said that they never got an emergency... Um, a, 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 a beacon, a, to beacon, say, a yeah. blip from me, basically saying that I was in trouble. So then I was, you know, in talks with Garmin, um, you know, for the next like five days after that. Just what, like, would, what did they say? Um, it's actually... You hadn't updated your watch. No, no, <laughs> it wasn't that. <clears throat> um, yeah, they, they think it, it was a, a fault of some sort. Um, they couldn't really give me a straight answer. It's pretty hard to talk with Garmin support team um, because there's no Garmin support in Australia. It's um, The Garmin technical team is in America. So you have to basically raise an issue with the Garmin support team in Australia and then they escalate that to the technical team in America. So you kind of like, it's like the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand kind of thing. It's just... Yeah. You thought that, yeah, it's a bit silly. It's so, uh, yeah. Considering they sell the emergency, like an emergency, it's not like a fitness <coughs> watch that's on oh, my, yeah. my run around the block wasn't tracked by my watch. You mm. know, I, uh, you have, you know, it's a little bit. But I think the reason why I would have a, another EPIRB is because Garmin's not a EPIRB company. They're just a tech company that have like, you know, satellite accessibility. It's just that it's, it's really nice having the equipment with the GPS and GPS nav and everything on your watch, but um, it's not an emergency service company. It's a tech company. Like it's, I, I should have had a backup EPIRB that went straight to emergency services. Like you basically pull a pin and you can't put the pin back in. No, it's like a grenade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure like with those EPIRBs, like even um, shipping container ships, they have to like stop for you. They're like legally they have to like stop yeah, yeah, and like yeah. try and pick you up yeah normally yeah. normally if I go for a big hike uh, like the one that I did at the start of the year <clears throat> um, down the bottom of Tassie you, I normally hire a um, a perb as well like mm. a beacon yeah and just sort of sits in your backpack in a dry sack yeah just chills out in there until you use it which no, I've never used one yeah but I mean yeah they're amazing devices and like just having the ability for other people to track where you are is kind of cool as well. It updates, you know, you can set the intervals of how quick, how often it updates. Yeah. I had it set to like two minute intervals. Um, so people can see where you are and, and you know, like if I was in a bad situation, then I'm glad that I did have that. Yeah, because you had the backup. Then the emergency services did get called. It was just a, a glitchy sort of 
situation that happened where, yeah. What was the other time the helicopter got called? Um, it wasn't my fault. No. <laughs> okay. It, sure. it was because of me, but that was but like stupid. They got, got called on me. Um, I was in a place called Browley and I um, went to go for a surf. I borrowed a surfboard that um, was just at the place that I was staying. Um, amazing place that I stayed at with an amazing family. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, so I borrowed a surfboard. There was, the surf was crap. So I ended up going for a paddle just to sort of keep up fitness and just, I don't know, something to do. Sure. Um, went for a paddle around, I think it's Browley Island. Um, it's Browley Island, but it's actually connected to the mainland. I think once upon a time it was disconnected, but now it's connected. Anyway, went for a paddle um, from the southern end, went right around to the northern end and someone called it in, like, as I was paddling around. And oh, was, they I, thought that you might have been in they, trouble. Yeah, they thought I was in distress and I was just paddling just, like, for fun and, you know, just to do something to do. And it was an amazing paddle, amazing just to, like, be out there. Um, and it took me 45 minutes. It wasn't, like, a long paddle. No, it's, it's, it's been, yeah. sure. Anyway, got into shore and, yeah, it was just, like, standing on the beach <laughs> looking out to the water going oh yeah this is good and um yeah helicopter buzzed above me and um then I turned around and there were two police walked over the dunes towards me I'm like oh, okay here we go let's <laughs> <laughs> get over here we go yeah. um and then yeah they came up to me and they're like are you okay I'm like yeah I'm fine and um they said yeah well someone called it in we had to send out a helicopter I'm like, look, I'm so sorry. This is the second helicopter I've had in eight, like, it was like six days or something in between the first one and the second one. And, um, yeah, so from then on, like, all the police knew, all the rescue team, all the Coast Guard, they knew who I was. (laughs) (laughs) And what I was doing. Yeah. Well, so how did they? How did the cops? How how did they start taking that? With you know, like obviously this, with the second one, that was a bit of a mistake. Yeah, you know, you know it's not your fault. No, nah, it's not, and I apologise. Just saying, I'm so sorry um, for the resources that I used. It really wasn't my fault this time, but yeah, I'm really sorry. And then they said, "Oh no, it's fine." Um, the airport was really, really close, and um, they they said, "Oh, look, it's like a good training exercise for them anyway to be called out." And they were, I think, they were stoked. To actually, wow, that's to, cool. Yeah, to just like have a bit of excitement, and then and they're like, "We're just glad that you know that it's a good outcome. It's not a for sure. It's not a bad outcome." What do you What do you think about like this? Is one of the arguments I guess that comes up. Um, I, you know, like I, I hear about these sorts of things all the time. Like, for example, you know the guy that recently did the um, Yosemite Wall yeah. solo and stuff like yeah. this. And <laughs> that was wild. Isn't the document is fucking yeah, crazy, that wasn't was it? wild. But this is something that you know that comes up, I guess, from time to time with people um, is is the the possibility for harm or the possibility of things going wrong is uh, quite great. Uh, mm. Even even in situations where uh, you've methodically, you know, there's a lot of things outside of your control. You know, there's a lot of things that you can't control that's going on, like you know, uh, weather uh, is a big one, and, 
and where resources potentially get used, you know, especially um, alpine climbing, this happens a lot where people go to, you know, do K2 or Everest and mm-hmm. accidents happen and people uh, get severely injured um, or they perish and and they're using local resources to get them out of trouble and to, you know, help them out. What's your sort of thoughts on those sorts of things where people are doing these like world records or uh, kayaking around Tassie or in the, and, and do you think this is something that people sh- should be doing or shouldn't be doing? Or? I think, I think they should be doing it. And like, it's, um, you know, it gives people the thrill, the excitement, you know, that adrenaline rush, that like feeling of being alive. So yeah, I think that people should definitely do it. And I think these, um, emergency services they're there um to keep people safe and because they're there like it makes you know it has the ability for people to do like kind of wild crazy things like this so yeah i think it's like a full circle it works really well so what's the importance then in in your opinion or what you know thinking about what's the importance for you in doing these kinds of things and people and people going out there and uh, attempting to break you know uh, these kinds of records or or attempting these kinds of these you know um, adventures or activities what's for you what's what what do you think is important about it for people um yeah i guess like for me it was just the you know there was just an amazing feeling that you got from that I got from um you know each day and just being out there and you know um you know especially when you're kiting it's probably like every every sort of adventure sport yeah that you're so in the moment and you're so like distracted from everything else that's going on in your life that you can just you just like focused on that that moment and what's going like like how I how do I get to the next point and and you know like what's the wind doing where do I need to go what what direction do I need to go um oh look there's a turtle like (laughs) (laughs) there's there's dolphins cool and um oh the wind's dying like there's just so many things that you're just in the moment rather than thinking about oh I gotta get to work tomorrow you know these these things that you do is um yeah, I think they're really important feelings to 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 sort of navigate to experience. To, to experience, the, yeah. The Japanese call it ekigai. Ah, okay. State of so it translates um, to uh, it's like a state of flow. So um, uh, surfing, for example, is uh, I remember I um, talked to a guy. Oh God, I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. He's probably listening as well on the podcast, and uh, he's a writer. <clears throat> And his state of flow or, or meditative activity, like mine is like surfing, his is um, downhill unicycling. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds pretty extreme. Yeah, so I was like, wow, yeah. that's pretty full on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he described it as the, the ikigai or ikigai is, a, is a, a state of flow that you get into where there's, you can't think of anything else other than just in the moment and reactionary. Yeah. Your body's just just moving in the moment yeah. like, so like when you're surfing there's there's nothing else that you can think of except for just being on that wave you're not thinking about dinner you're not thinking about what happened you know five minutes before you got on the wave you're not thinking about yeah. anything, you know, what happened yesterday or six yeah. months ago or your goals you're just being uh just purely in the mode and, yeah you know so that's, that's 
Japanese. Ikigai. Yeah, Ikigai. Is it Ikigai? Ikigai, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I-K-I-G-A-I, I think is how it's spelled. But that and Haigazama is pretty much the only Japanese that I know as well. Konnichiwa. Yeah, so I learnt Japanese, I think, for about a year. I think it was grade seven or something. Year seven? Yeah. The only thing that I remember is a soccer nates for Mimasen. Which means, <laughs> what is that? which means sorry I'm late for class. <laughs> is that something that you used a lot? And <laughs> I actually used it. Uh, so when I was in Browley staying with this family, um, Ben, I know, Joey and Emily, amazing family, and thank you so much for having me. Um, <laughs> I, 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 th- I said that because um, I know is Japanese and, and Ben had lived in Japan for... I don't know, like 15, 20 years or something. And I'm like, look, the only thing that I know how to say, (laughs) well, besides arigato and, you know, um, is Osaka Nate Sumimasen. So they had a good laugh. And I ended up staying with them for, oh, it's probably about six or seven days and had an amazing experience with them. Um, They had a rice cooker. That's pretty much all I ate for (laughs) (laughs) for, for six or seven days. Um, yeah, did like tried to help them out a little bit, like yeah, yeah. Did, did some landscaping with Ben and, um, yeah, tried to make some food and, um, yeah, just hung out with them and they were just an amazing family. So it worked out really well. So yeah, some places where I stayed, there was just people that, um, you know, gave me accommodation and they actually found out about me, uh, via the, I think it was a Newcastle newspaper cause I was on on the front page of the Newcastle newspaper and the Herald and my tracker was, was on the newspaper and they, they, Ben saw a kite coming, coming in. It was just like one kite coming around Browlee. And then he thought, Oh, could be that kite. Could be that guy that's doing this Guinness world record. And, um, they looked up, sure enough, they looked up the tracker and they saw that I was there and they followed Followed me to the Stop. point. Stop! Really? It followed me to the point, and at at the time, I was looking at this TP structure that was on the beach, and I'm like, "Ooh, I could probably sleep in that <laughs> tonight." <laughs> and it was, yeah, it looked amazing. So I was, and it was getting dark, and there was nothing open. I checked yeah. on on Google to see if there's anything open to to you know go get some food or anything. Nothing was open. I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll probably sleep here." family rocks up and yeah and they were just amazing they offered me a place to stay and had a had a great time with them so yeah that was like all these experiences um but just like yeah it's just amazing i often think like going back to uh sort of circling back to why these kinds of things are important i think for me because I mean, I've never broken a Guinness World Record, but I've done some uh, done some pretty decent hikes and um, some some solo expeditions like that for you know, and um, for a few days, you know, a couple of weeks. And um, for me personally, I always find these things good putting yourself in positions where the simplicity of life is boiled. Like your your life is boiled down to. Almost not quite. I mean, there's definitely moments where you, you know, where your your survival sort of kicks in, and you're like, 
have to like think uh, very uh, rationally, but also very um, in a reactionary sort of way. You know, like I've got to do this and this, like you would like yeah. you described before. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's also just it's cool knowing someone that's been through those experiences and, and challenged those sorts of boundaries because it's a it's a it's a long way. <laughs> and it so you, you're pushing the boundaries really of physical and me, the mental and physical barriers of, of possibilities of people being like I can remember talking to a friend of friend, mutual friend of ours Kale yeah saying to like and him and I were talking about this for a while we should windsurf across Port Phillip Bay and go from like Queen, uh, from uh, Sorrento to Queenscliff <laughs> imagine how nuts that would be like imagine doing that how nuts it, and like a couple of years later you're kite surfing from fucking yeah. Gold Coast to Melbourne yeah. but it's like that was a long distance to us and so it's it's the stories that you've acquired but you know the things that you've learned about yourself I think and then being able to pass those on to other people mm. in terms of like possibilities and boundaries and the mental fortitude that because it's it becomes a point where it's no longer about the physical, isn't it? And it's just all it's all mind games from there on in. And you are overcoming mental barriers. Or is that does that not even come into it for you? Do you not even think about that? Um Yeah, I guess. Um I think it's like it's the what you were talking about, like just the, the you know, the day to day activities of like, okay, what do I need to do next? And I think mm-hmm. that's why, you know, camping is so much fun and so good because all you have to think about is what am I going to make for lunch? Okay, <laughs> let's make lunch. Let's start a fire and like it's just simple life and, you know, you just in that moment you're not thinking about, you know, like past moments or, um, you know, future things that you have to do or the anxiety of that you get that you have to go to work when you're on Sunday, <laughs> when it's Sunday. It's I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, adventure, adventures are very important I think and... Yeah, it's very grounding. I love it. Are you going to do any more? What um, yeah, I, I will eventually, um, but um, I'm trying to focus on other things at the moment. So yeah, just, yeah, um, yeah. yeah kind of head down at the moment and um, put the adventures on hold for now. And, um, well, it's kind of different kind of adventure. Different adventures, yeah, I'd yeah, say. Awesome. Yeah, business adventure. <laughs> so what, so, and how was the... How did your work go when you were like? Because so this go I guess a little branch into that. So what do you what what is it used to do or what is it you do as well? Yeah, so I'm a brewer. Um, I used to work at Bolter and then before that Stonewood. And right now I'm currently um, wanting to start my own brewery. And oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, it's very exciting and and scary and um, a lot of fun. And yeah, I've got a great couple of guys that i'm with um doing it and yeah it's exciting so how was that how was that chat with the guys at bolter that you were going to embark on this um yeah it was it was um pretty much went um i'm taking uh i want to take annual leave and i want my all my 44 days (laughs) i just (laughs) I, i basically blew all my annual leave um and yeah had 44 days off took it all at once and um got about halfway down um I think I was in I think I might have only been in coughs yeah I was in coughs and I thought I was I was thought I was going to do that day one (laughs) 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 um yeah in coughs and I um called him up 
and said, look, I want to keep going with this. And they were pretty understandable. I gave, like, I think it was like three weeks notice. So it was, you know, plenty. Oh yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. So it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't feel like a flippant decision for you to make to say that you were like, well, it was either go back to work or continue. So it was pretty easy. And decision. going back to work wasn't something that was, no. What is that? Uh, it's a pump. No. <laughs> I think it might be the fridge pump or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. That fridge is amazing, by the way. Thank you. It is <laughs> easy. Do a lot of research. I do a lot of research when I buy things. Um, and Hitachi fridge, everyone's got a vacuum drawer in it. I, this is what I was going to say. Like, this is the thing <laughs> I was most impressed about was like opening the fridge and you open the handle for this drawer. Like, I think this is the veggie drawer at the moment. And open it and it goes, yeah. You open it. It's like it's like something out of Star Wars. You're yeah. opening like this, this cryo <laughs> fridge door, expecting like you know, like I don't know what's in it. And it's vacuum sealed. Yeah. It's got a vacuum it's incredible. So you, let's just say you've cut an avocado, um, you put the avocado um, back in there and it keeps it like for a good two or three weeks. It doesn't even change colour. It's mental. Or, or like um, you know, soft uh, herbs and stuff like coriander you can put it in there and it lasts like three or four weeks in there more and it doesn't change at all it's easily the best fridge I've ever seen in my <laughs> life I've never seen a fridge like it yeah yeah and it keeps it's got a whole veggie drawer down the bottom we could do a whole podcast on this <laughs> we're pretty close <laughs> it's got a whole um, like a veggie slash fruit drawer down the bottom that it generates CO2 and flushes out the air to keep the veggies at like optimal optimal um conditions yeah and like keeps it at the optimal humidity and everything so hitachi fridge it is li- <laughs> I, I, this is not a and another japanese it. another japanese thing isn't it you know like they know what they, they know, know what, what they're, they're doing. doing like their toaster was that, <laughs> that a mitsubishi, mitsubishi hitachi? toaster I mitsubishi mean, toaster that thing yeah. is amazing i i i'm sorry i'm probably not going to buy one of their toasters yeah they I'll, look amazing though i don't eat that much toast uh, to, to justify a five hundred dollar toast, I, I ate a lot of toast. I'm still not buying a five hundred dollar toast. So it's it's like a, uh, it's like a box. I mean, you can Google it. What is it? Like Mitsubishi toaster. toaster. You go, it's one slice at a one time. One slice. <laughs> one slice. And it, apparently, I have never had it, but apparently, it's the best toast you can you can have. You'd want it to be mm. five hundred bucks. You'd want that piece of toast to be like just gold in your mouth. Yeah, I'm sure. But the, yeah, anyway. Digressing a little bit, so um, so it's that conversation with because you were pretty important to Volta as well. Yeah, well, um, I want to say so. I'm not going to blow my own horn, obviously, but um, I was there from the start. But, um, it was, but I mean, important because it's a small, it's a small brewery. You know, it's not as though yeah, it was. Um, it's kind, of, it's a pretty large brewery now. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, they they were really nice about me leaving and everything and um yeah i mean i was there for four years from the start and yeah it was great experience like yeah couldn't i've been really lucky in my brewing career working at stone and wood and then working at baltar and um yeah it's been amazing so um the journey continues with (laughs) the spangled drongo (laughs) it's the best name for a brewery three drongos please what's a spangled drongo spangled drongo is a a bird um, it's the only drongo that lives in Australia, which is the spangled drongo, and they're hardcore birds. Like they're they're known to take on prey twice their size, um, 
and there's other birds that nest around the spangled drongo just for that protection. Um, it's kind of smallish birds, like the size of a butcher bird or a magpie, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. Red eyes, <laughs> all all black and with a kind of mermaid tail. Oh, that's right. You were saying they've got like a split, like the mermaid yeah. whale sort of tail. Yeah. Sort of like. And they're, they're, yeah, they're hardcore. Like, they're, yeah. Like a wolverine or something like that. Just don't muck with them. Don't mess with the spangled rungo. <laughs> <laughs> and like it kind of sounds... Um, you know, it's got a few meanings and it sounds really good, to, you know, just it rolls off the tongue if you order three drongos. <laughs> um, and, you know, drongo is obviously Australian slang word. Yeah. Yeah. So why, why, why beer? Why, why did, what did you go into, what made you get into brewing? Uh, I did home brewing for a while and wanted to figure out why one batch tasted really good and the other didn't. Um, and yeah, so the next step from that was to, you know, do a course and learn about it and, um, yeah, did that. And I've kind of been in the industry ever since that was like 10 years ago now. And oh, wow, that's quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, before that I was kind of just floating around, um, working at a surf shop slash kite shop, um, and, you know, doing kite surfing lessons and, um, yeah, just, um, decided on a bit of a career change and went for the home brewing, went for the brewing path. And yeah, it's been really, really kind to me. Speaking of actually, we should get like, do you want one of the Monteiths, the Taste, yeah, of, taste, the taste of New Zealand? Pause, pause. No. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, cracked. Is that yours? Uh, no, I've got two bottles. Got I've got two bottles, yeah. So I thought like, I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be like, you know, I'd try to be all intellectual and um, whatever and get like a couple of different beers while I was at the supermarket. Yeah. So I got uh, Monteith's Pointer's Pale Ale, which I've honestly, to be honest with you, never heard of in terms of like from Monteith's. But mm. Monteith's is a bit of an iconic brand from New Zealand. And because you obviously did brewing, I was like, oh, we should do this. And then I felt, <laughs> and then I felt, uh, um, Felt pretty ashamed when I was walking out of the bottle store where Tim works. Yeah. With the Monteiths in my hand because obviously you brew and I was like, oh, I wonder what he actually thinks of Monteiths. Maybe I should get another beer, which is like a micro boutique brewery or a better beer. Oh, this is fine. This is great. Have you had yeah. this one before? No, I haven't. Um, but I've had plenty of Monteiths beers. And, yeah, Monteiths took a beer. Great. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. But so, we had... We had before the pirate, pirate life, pirate life. Pirate life, we just had a pirate life, yes. Which is pretty good. It's I was great. pretty, I'd never yeah. had one before. It's pretty good. pale ale, beautiful. And this is, is this a pale ale? It oh. is pale ale. Is it worthwhile doing, comparing two pale ales? Of course. So what do you, so anyway, so I got the, I got the pirate one because I was like, oh, maybe this one's a bit too commercial and I felt like a little bit, um, I felt a little bit shamed. I thought, oh, should I better like step up my game and grab a, um, a little bit of, Something probably that's. What's this like? What do you get? Lovely. Is Cheers. it good? Chin chin. Look, because oh, that's I, pretty good action. Yeah, and and because I I brew beer, I mean it doesn't automatically <clears throat> make me a, a beer snob of sorts. Like you know, I, was, I um, enjoy mass produced beers as well, and um, all sorts of beers. So, but not not beer isn't just beer though, right? Beer, beer is not beer. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's weird. But no, there, there's, um, there's, 
beers that I really enjoy, and I, there's you know some beers that I I don't go for as much, but yeah, there's yeah lo- local is best. Local beer is best. doesn't like to be bounced around on ships and boats and trucks. It likes to be um, straight from the source. It yeah, likes right. to just yeah. So local is best. What's your favourite at the moment? What are you doing at the moment? What am I drinking at the yeah, moment? Yeah, yeah, apart from Monteith's. Um, the... What, what beers are you vibing at the moment? What one's like, oh, shit, that's a good beer. Seven Mile. What's Seven Mile? Seven Mile, they're down in Ballina. Right. Yeah. I actually saw it. Is it a red can? Um, it's kind of like a blue can, Damn. actually. Yeah, blue can. Jesus, yeah, my memory is great. Yeah, One Dana's good. They're in Mullum. Sure. They're great. Um... What else? Yeah, I got for everything. But yeah, I mean, local to here, it for me, is, yeah, Wandana and Seven Mile. So, so this is quite a different parallel to the, to the pirate life one that we had. This is, I, what makes, what, so, this is something I find really, uh, not discouraging, but I find quite overwhelming, especially in Australia with all the bears is that if you get a parallel, you're like, oh, okay, it's a parallel. It's like going to be kind of like that. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. And I, mm. find, I find sometimes the, the choice quite overwhelming. <clears throat> yeah, there can be a lot of variety. Um, it's sort of dependent on a, f- a lot of things. Um, you know, first, if it's um, as the brewer intended, um, you know, sometimes it does like go hot and cold, hot and cold, sit in a warehouse for months and then it oxidizes and just becomes sort of, you know, not that great, a bit sort of stale and a bit plain. And, um, so yeah, the best is to drink fresh and local Local, for that reason. Um, and yeah, it depends on a few other things like, you know, the hops and, how it's brewed and um, one of the actual big things is oxygen in pack. So dissolved oxygen is a massive one. Um, what's, what's that? So beer oxidizes really, really quickly. Um, it goes stale. It goes, um, it doesn't go bad, but it changes flavors quite quickly if there's oxygen present. Sure. And for, for a brewer, um, the one of the biggest goals to keep the beer fresh tasting is to keep the oxygen, um, the dissolved oxygen um, down as low as possible when it's in a can or a bottle or a keg. So, you, so, so to keep it down as low as possible, does that mean that there's always going to be a little bit of dissolved oxygen? Yeah, in the, yeah. There's, you there's, can't get away from that. Yeah, so as soon as fermentation is finished, there's zero oxygen in the beer. And then... When you transfer it from the fermenter, where that's where it ferments, um, when you transfer it to the next vessel, which is the bright beer tank, then you pick up a little bit of oxygen and, you know, you might pick up 10 or 20 or 30 parts per million. Um, in in the can, So and, and then going from the bright beer tank into the, the can or the keg or the bottle, yeah. you're going to pick up another, you know, 10 or 20 maybe 30, if it's a really bad day or if someone's cooked something up, you might pick up 500 or 1,000 and then your beer will last, you know, maybe five days a week and it's dead. So what's the so, you know, right on. So what's the difference between, so what makes a pale ale a pale ale? 
Um, a pale ale is a style of beer. It has certain criteria. Every um, beer has a certain criteria. A pale ale, you know, has to be between a certain ABV. It has, been, has to have a certain amount of alcohol in it, first of all. It has to have a certain um, amount of bitterness, um, and that's measured in IBUs, International Bittering Units. 4.2%. Um, yeah, and, you know, it also uh, depends on... Um, you know where where it's brewed as well. Like you might have New Zealand hops in it. You probably do have. Well, New Zealand it's got. Hops in it, it says refreshing five hop New Zealand pale ale. Yeah, so, so I'm guessing New, there's five hops. Yeah, so it's a <laughs> New Zealand pale ale. It most likely has a lot of New Zealand hops and probably a lot of their malt as well, which classifies it as a New Zealand pale ale. <laughs> if it's an Australian pale ale, you're most likely you're going to have Australian, Australian hops. hops and. Traditionally, you'll have Australian malt as well. And likewise with America, sure. you'll have American hops and American... So that, But that just determines where it comes from. It doesn't determine yeah, the, the style. Well, um, this, this, it sort of does actually because the region that the hops grow in um, have different flavour profiles just from sure. where it grows. So in New Zealand, you know, you've got citrusy, you've got... Um, resiny you've got um, um, you can get quite harsh but um, in America very citrusy like citrus really yeah yeah citrusy um, if it's in um, in Europe if it's in like Germany it's quite um, the hops that are grown there are quite sort of medicinal and spicy um, and in Australia it's quite hop uh, quite fruity and citrusy and That's interesting, yeah, isn't it? aromatic so yeah depending on the region that's grown in around the world then it does change the flavor of the beer so that that yeah. therefore in turn determines the style of beers that you can make yeah with pretty, those kinds of hops pretty much yeah yeah so with the spicy kind of hops that you would be getting in like belgium or germany you're less likely to make a, a pale ale in those areas or i used to make a pale ale yeah um it just has to you know, and you can import hops from anywhere. Of like course, we, we can yeah, get American sure. hops. We can get New Zealand hops. Yeah, but the amazing uh, ability of transportation, great with me. ships. Yeah, <laughs> great me, man. It's one of my pet hates in the world. Is uh, I mean, it's an, it plays an important part. Globalization, I guess, in in uh, when it's allowed us to sit here, I guess, with these mm. laptops. Uh, Probably maybe drinking out of these glasses, which came from your beautiful fridge, which probably came from Japan. <laughs> you know, I do, there's, there's lots of, we, we owe a lot in terms of uh, the things that we can do or things that we can access um, and the things that we can achieve in a way mm, due totally. to globalization and the yeah. amount of information that we know. Yeah. In terms of, but there's also, there's been a lot of, there's been a massive ramification on a global scale through globalization and through the fact that we can get stuff from anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Reasonably um, quickly. Yeah, if you yeah, you're talking about like detrimental things that are happening, yeah, from like the um, the transport industry, mm -hmm. is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard because it's kind of a it's one of those things that is hard to change um, and yeah I think there are other things that you can change on a on a day-to-day -day basis that um, help even more than the than personal the choices yes yes that are far 
far greater than um, the transport industry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, leading into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I really wasn't trying to like make a little segue uh, there, but like, so but that is something that is that. I mean, I'm totally happy to talk about. It. Like, I know that's something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, I'm totally happy, like, just to talk about it, you know, like, and, yeah. and discuss these things with you. Like, there's, I know that we both have um, um, similar views, but also differing views on this on the subject of uh, diet and and climate change. Yeah, there's things that we both agree on, and there's, I don't think there's anything that we disagree on. I think there's just a, the lifestyle differences that we that we that we have differences. I'm incredibly impressed. Yeah. Um, by a lot of the things that you do and there's, there's some things that I'm trying to catch up with in the world and make a difference to how I live and stuff like that but going back to you that's something that you're really super passionate about in a way isn't it yeah so um, yeah so the biggest thing for me is well the, the biggest thing that you can do as an individual is um, you can change your diet and I'm plant based I'm vegan and um yeah, the best thing that you can do for the planet is to change your diet um, and, you know, not support the animal agriculture business and um, which is, um, it's far more detrimental than the transport industry. So something that you can change, um, you know, it's harder to, to change the, the transport industry because... People need to get from A to B. People need their Japanese fridges. People <laughs> pretty good fridges. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, is very energy efficient. Well, there's advantages. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty um, good technology. But yeah. you know, for um, what you can do on a personal level every single day is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You got three choices that you can yeah. make every single day, and. Um, you know, you can choose to help the planet um, and very much so with just by, you know, each each choice, each each, um, each breakfast that you have, each lunch that you have and each dinner that you have. So you can, um, yeah, help the planet uh, by doing that. You can, you know, help your health. And most important thing for me is, you know, you don't have to kill a... In individual that's the thing that mm. I think for me I remember we were talking about this at I think it was I actually think it was around my kitchen table when I was living in, when I was in Brighton you came around after Kale's birthday and we were sitting around there like pretty half drunk I think that was probably one of the, the biggest one of the biggest things that you that you, well not the biggest but one of the things that you said to me that that stood out in terms of one of the reasons why you, I think why you went vegan was that, because I think Kale asked you, like, why did you go vegan? And you went, I sleep better knowing that not one animal was harmed in anything that I eat. And I just thought that for me that was like a thing, something that stood out, you know, like, uh, you know, people have their personal choices as to why they choose to do things in their life in terms of veganism. I, you know, a lot of friends of mine that go vegan or have gone vegan or are vegan. Uh, generally to do like purely they talk about it as in a climate sort of action kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh, just you know uh, it, some of them talk about the um, the cruelty as well that's associated with uh, eating animal products in a you know especially any any sort of setting. yeah I think I think for me like um, I think pretty much every you talk to any vegan it's always for the animals it's like 
yeah, the, their main um, their main goal is to not um, you know harm beans basically, um, and it just so happens that um, you know you save the planet at the same time, and it's better for your health. Um, so yeah, the three things they're the three things for me. And yeah, if you can sl- sleep better at night, I mean that's <laughs> sleeping's pretty, pretty good, good isn't it? <laughs> So when did you when when how long have you been vegan? When was this something that you decided to do? It's probably about six or seven years ago now. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, and it was it was a, a bit of a transition. It, um, you know, I I grew up eating bacon and eggs every morning, and um, yeah, my dad's Hungarian. You know, Hungarian diet's very meat heavy. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, it sort of was a, about a year transition just from like, oh, okay, yeah, I could probably just, you know, leave this out and then leave this out. I think the last thing to go was like eggs and fish for me. And um, I was big into cheese. Oh, like yeah, cheese was yeah. real hard to let go. But, and, but now, like with all the, the vegan cheeses, they're quite easy. Like it's, they taste exactly the same. They melt as well. Like, yeah. It's pretty. They're making pretty amazing advancements in terms yeah. of the lab-grown meats as well. I was telling you that actually when I got up here like a week and a half ago that on set we had Impossible Burgers one day. I couldn't believe it. They're amazing. They are. They are amazing. And the, the Impossible one as well, like <clears throat> if you've looked into how they make that, there's a lot of crazy science that goes into that. <clears throat> they um, have – so in – like a real big flavor component in meat is heme iron, which is the blood from an animal, which is the iron that you get from animals. Sure. So and that's that's iron that's so that's attached to the blood. Yeah, but yeah. It's like from the platelets of the blood, and right. that's actually a massive flavor profile of, of meat. And Impossible Burger has figured out a way to create to make yeast create heme iron. And they, yeah, so they've got, you know, like vessels, I guess, that this yeast is churning out heme iron and that's, um, you know, put into these these burgers um, to give that same flavour profile as normal, normal meat. Because I couldn't believe Amazing. having this, because I, I have no idea what the, the patty was made out of. I'm um, sure there's like a... I think it's mainly like... Pea protein. I think most of them are. Sure. There's a lot of pea protein, maybe soy. I think like a lot of them are doing mushrooms now as well. Like I think that corn, um, corn uh, company, they do like, yeah, um, mycelium, is it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I really don't know enough. Yeah. yeah. A lot of proteins from plants. It's I just couldn't believe protein. that the patty. I remember we were talking about at the table, we were like, oh, it's probably like a, a food colouring or... But when you bit into the burger, into the patty, there was like... It wasn't blood, but it was like... It was like, it was oh, like, yeah, it was it like a medium rare it, steak. It bleeds. It bleeds. And that's from the yeast. It was incredible. I was like, oh, this is... But it, it yeah. wasn't... At the time, I was like, oh, that's a neat a neat trick, kind of. That's kind of what... that, that Like to really sort of dumb it down. That's kind of what the thought was on set in terms of uh, it's a neat trick to be able to put, to make it look like it's a medium rare steak. Um, and then the flavour, you're like, okay, well, it tastes, you know, it tastes like, to be honest with you, not that I eat meat patties anyway because I think they're fucking gross. Mm. But um, 
that it tastes you know meaty or beefy is the best way to describe it uh which is just a flavor thing okay it's just obviously flavors that they put in flavor enhancers but it's not it's the it's the heme iron it's yeah. incredible I, I know when you were telling me that I was like what <laughs> it's incredible I, I was blown yeah. away yeah it's amazing what they can do with science they've come a long way and um, yeah I'm really grateful that you know those products are out there and those companies are there it's you like, know yeah. in San Francisco recently they just served the first lab grown salmon fillet wow salmon they're doing in petri dishes fillet. now Whoa. I actually was thinking about that while we were down in the garage I was like I should bring that up because the salmon was a big discussion, but it, it, and actually they they've grown it so that it's got the the grain the um, the fat grains in the right. meat as well. It's, it looks like a sushi piece of salmon. Wow! Well, you had your first custard apple the other day. How was that texture? That was kind of. I, it was in between. It was amazing. It was in between a pear and a mango. Yeah, and that like. Like that fleshy um, fish flesh kind of like. It was weird, actually a little bit, flip, but it sort of broke away like fish sort yeah, of does. Well, it, does. it was amazing. I'd actually, yeah, I don't, it's not, I don't really eat. I don't eat fish anymore. But um, yeah, for, for the goddamn you, seaspiracy. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, oh, I just never, I never really liked it though. To be honest with you. Yeah. Well, you know, but I just. Yeah, that was that was one of the last things for me to go like six years ago. Yeah, I just couldn't. I can't do it. Like the the oceans are really, I don't know the oceans are a really important part of my life because I surf a lot. I spend a lot of time near the mm. water. It's really important that I live near the water. Um, and I just I just thought like in terms of what you were saying before, the small things like it's a it's a pretty small thing to do. We live in a society now, you know, I'm talking Western civilization society. Uh, you know, in Australia, we're pretty fortunate. But for the first time ever in history, dying of famine is not a problem. I now, know, yeah. dying of overeating is a problem. Dying of overconsumption is more of a problem than famine. Yeah, isn't and it's crazy? not to say that there's people out there in in Australia. Like I'm spe- specifically thinking of Australia or New Zealand or uh, you know the the, the uh, more. Um, you know the western worlds there's there's still famine you know there's still people out there that live day to day hand you know hand and mouth for the you know low wages and poverty and stuff like that but it's never been it's never been a problem like the overconsumption has never been a problem and now it's it's a it's a it's you know food shouldn't be a problem for people now I know. yeah and and like um <clears throat> I'm super grateful that there's there's these documentaries out there like Seaspiracy and you know, Cowspiracy, all that stuff. And like for me, after watching something like that and then still eating fish, I think you're an idiot. <laughs> Hands down, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I so for me, you know, for me, the big problem um, is I think we were discussing down. In the, in the garage part of the podcast. I think for me, the big problem that I have with, uh, and I'm looking specifically at like the fish, okay, so like fish seafood, is something that's produced on a mass scale or caught uh, like the giant fishing trawlers. I think for, personally for me, that is, the, that is the major contributing factor to a lot of the problems like uh Focusing or narrowing specifically on climate change, for example, the 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 impact that those trawlers uh, and the people are having from 
uh, the commercial, like major commercial factory fishing vessels that are on the ocean, the damage that is happening to the ocean, uh, and also now we're seeing it on land. Now, Greenland now has got one of the last. Some of the ice caps are getting really, really fucking tiny up there, but. Mm. Um, that for me has always been just the amount, the volume of fish that they're getting, and it's you know it's not specific, it's general. They're just catching whatever fits in the nets, which is pretty much those nets are what five kilometers wide. Yeah, and like the amount of bycatch or by kill or whatever you call it. Um, yeah, so like you know for every for every time that you eat a fish, you're actually responsible for you know, killing turtles and dolphins and seals and all the bi-kill that goes with it that is not intended to catch. But, you know, you're responsible for that. So, yeah, just knowing that and, like, having that as a pretty large reason why, you know, you probably shouldn't eat fish on a massive scale, on a mass scale. Um, and, you know, and also the... The toxins that are in the fish as well, like the the plastics, the, you know, the PCBs, Microplastics, yeah, yeah, um, yeah the, all the, the the toxins that are in there, it's like and the mercury is, um, yeah, it's not for me. That's okay. Yeah, okay. I I I um, yeah, for me, like I I I have, I'm I've always been a bigger supporter of of community, is what you were describing, like in terms of the bear. Uh, you know, eating local or drinking drinking local beer, fresh beer. For in terms of your diet, that's that's more of how I've sort of seen. Uh, and it's not a perfect scenario because unfortunately we live. You know, majority of the population lives in cities, and it's hard to facilitate the. Uh, it's it's hard to facilitate um, today the mouths that the amount of people that live in those cities. But I think. Because I don't live in a city, you know, I don't live anywhere, to be honest with you. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I live in a living bar. You've got a troopie. You're the, <laughs> like, <laughs> Australia's, like, greatest car. It's pretty handy. <laughs> Spits a lot, choose a lot of diesel, though. But, uh, but I've, I've always been a, a, an advocate for uh, local produce from wherever you are. Like, and, that, and that's not... That for me, that's also like a vegetable thing. Like I've never bought vegetables that are from overseas, uh, except from I'm guilty of, of buying. Um, I buy the organic organic canned tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They're from Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we're, you know, like I mean, it's yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to um, you know pull up everything, and there's like a massive list of you know things that you can do. Um, you know, to, you know, better the planet um, and um, better your health and, um, you know, things like that. But at the top of the list, and that's where you should start, it's, um, you know, not it's not supporting the animal agriculture industry because yeah. that is number one. And that's the number one thing that you can change as well, in, yeah, for me. So that's why I don't. Well, just not harming animals is an excellent reason not to do it. Is Massive, it? yeah. That's that's a, yeah. That is the number one, really. It's fucking it's hideous, you know. Yeah, if you look at those factory farming videos of what they do, it's just um, yeah, pretty mind mind boggling to what but we. It's also we the do. the ecological damage that happens as well. Like on a country, like I was talking to you, I think a little a few days ago about New Zealand's 
situation. And New Zealand has the, the worst freshwater ecology in the world. Wow. Does it? 80% of New Zealand's uh, freshwater species and plant life is either endangered or extinct. 80%. Wow. It's, the, it's the worst in the world. And uh, that's, that's, that's due to specific, specifically due to um, mass dairy agriculture. So that's... that's yeah, uh, the runoff and stuff from that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's like a few, there's a few reasons. Like it's uh, the runoff, it's the... Oh, it's the runoff. It's like the, the the major contributing factor is the nitrates from the nitrates or nitrates from the fertilizer that goes into the ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, urea, but, but not so much because they capture that they recapture the urea and then put that back into fertilizer. Right. But um, it's yeah, it's the it's the nitrates that go nitrites or eights, whatever it is that goes into the fertilizer which then in turn goes into the grass to make the grass grow mm-hmm. faster for yep. the cows to eat and the grass grows it's just grows too fast but uh and then because new zealand's the the aquifers there's a few aquifers uh, <clears throat> i'm specifically speaking about also the area where i grew up in which is in canterbury it's quite silty the land so that's a big plains area at the base of the alps and then it runs for quite a few kilometers like 60 kilometers from the base of the alps to the far east coast of the south island and it's a big plains tableland and it's all very silty because it's quite new zealand is quite a new geographically speaking it's quite a new country it's uh, it's like 160 million years old or so the it hasn't got like australia does it hasn't got like topsoils clays it's just all quite silty and quite swampy mm. so the the nitrates from the fertilizer run off down filter down through and get trapped into the aquifers and the aquifers get drained out pumped and of course the drinking water in the areas from the aquifers as well so that area has the one of the highest colonic cancer rates in the world as well and uh, but there's i mean it's just the, the flow on effect and now you've got all these uh generational um venison uh sheep uh crop farms that were there that they've demolished now to make way for the dairy farms which are gone uh have upset the land even more and it's you know it's yeah like, it's, it's pretty a, upsetting isn't it it's horrible but it's also not only it, that yeah. there's also the the personal uh and the community financial effects that it has as well because now these farms have converted to dairy which costs millions of dollars to build the infrastructure to do this mm-hmm. And also buy the new livestock and then uh, start those networks up for the farmers to make the money back that they've invested or that has been invested into them. Now, though, you know, because we live in a, in a, in a global society, now we're affected by global price differences and volatility from country to country. So at one point, New Zealand supplied a third of the world's dairy. It's less now, but wow. at, one, at one point, the height, at the peak of it, yeah. it's, it's much less now. It's about a fifth Still a lot, <laughs> still a lot. Uh, but um, at that point, you know, you've got aggressive price differences as well. You know what I mean? So mm. you, you might start your farm at, for sake of the argument, ten dollars a kg for, you know, for your milk. So you plan your farm on that, and then all of a sudden, because of geopolitical differences or whatever, the price drops to five. You, you know, it's half per kilo and so there's, no, there's a lot of financial burden and pressure and the area has one of the highest suicide rates because of it, you know. Yeah, it's a massive flow effect, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah just because of milk. 
<laughs> milk powder specifically, not yeah, just milk, milk yeah, powder. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that here as well. Like all, most of that goes to China, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's no, it's not good. And yeah, if you can not support those industries, then that's that's a great thing. So, how much of a, how much of a dif- difference do you think needs to happen, or how much? Aside from everyone, you know, switching to something like, you know, being, uh, changing their diet, you know, making an impact on their diet with a, you know, significantly reduce or completely eliminate those products. How much of a difference do you think, how many, you know, what kind of numbers do you think needs to happen for it to make a big impact? One, yeah. So if you, as an individual, change, you know, if you stop eating um, animals altogether, then um, I can't remember what the stat is, but... You know, each individual um, is accountable for each meat eater is accountable for, um, you know, say, just let's just say, one hundred chickens and uh, four cows per year, and ten and ten and I don't know, a hundred fish or something like that. You know, whatever those stats are, are then you saved those chickens, you've saved those those cows, yeah. and you like they, they don't have to die. So. Yeah, on an individual basis, then like as soon as you do it, then that's the like you've saved those animals. Those animals do not die, like straight away. Yeah, so it it's um it, it there, there doesn't have to be a um like mass sort of tipping point, but you know eventually there will be where everyone sort of does adopt a um, plant based diet as as predominant and um you know then animals will live will be life. yeah have live happily ever after <laughs> yeah and and that, and they also won't be bred into existence by humans to be on dinner plates either cuz so, that's the other argument um, as well is is you know what the animals that already exist or you know the infrastructure for those well they, they only exist because we Eat them. Well, we artificially inseminate cows. We like what humans do is they stick their hand up um, a cow's ass and um, they injected a stainless tube in with bull semen. And um, you know, nine months later, a cow comes out. Um, and if it's a if it's a male cow, then the males are, are deemed useless in the dairy industry. They're deemed useless. So. They go off to veal, and um, they get slaughtered straight away. As their um, their mum is crying, um, "Where's my baby?" kind of kind of thing. Um, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And um, yeah, and then that cow is um, you know you know the only reason why cows have milk is because they're pregnant. Um, so the, the those cows then milked for five, six, seven years until they can't be milked anymore and then they are also um, deemed with the same death. Um, go to the slaughterhouse when um, they can't produce any more milk. So then they get turned into a, you know, a McDonald's Big Mac. Which uses two and a half thousand litres of water per Big Mac. Yeah, every, every cheeseburger, the stat is 2,400 litres of water um, for... One cheeseburger. Crazy. Versus just a, uh, a glass of beer. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot less water, um, way less water 
um, to make beer than um, than animal products. Uh, yeah, but you know, there's other way better reasons to drink beer <laughs> than because yeah. it just tastes good. It's not just the water saving. No, it's good beer. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it was was that was did, did, did any of this come into one of the reasons why you did the kite surf or was is this like an awareness raising yeah, thing for you as absolutely. well absolutely if the, if i was to say um what is the biggest reason it would be to create awareness of this this issue and this problem and what you can do as an individual on a day-to-day basis um so yeah that for me is yeah the the biggest um thing that i, I would want to share as a just a message rather than you know, supporting anything, but yeah, that's that's the number one, and it was a lot of fun to do. It was a shitload of fun. It was a lot watch. of fun. Yeah, <laughs> you can um, if uh, anyone wants to, you can go on Instagram. It was pretty cool actually going on Instagram and being able to sort of track because it wasn't every day that it was up. What was the deal with that? Because it wasn't every day that it was uploaded. It was like every now and then you there was a video of uploaded. You could sort of track where you had been. Yeah. And there's some footage. Yep. Is that like a GoPro thing, like a little... That was um, the data from my watch, actually. You can um, put it into another program and then it gives a sort of 3D satellite fly-through of where you went. Um, so there was that and then I edited a bit of footage on the GoPro. I'm not yep. very good at it, so they're not very good videos. But great, though. Um, so what it is on Instagram, on your Instagram, yeah. Adventures, of Bri- yeah. Adventures of Brian is yeah. what it is, is the handle. On the Instagram uh, it you can when you go onto Brian's profile, you can sort of you'll see the videos. That it's pretty clear which videos are the ones is that yeah, they're, they're, all the videos are there. But I mean, well, actually, I um, I only got to about Jeringong and then I stopped doing the videos. I still have heaps of videos to go through, and um, yeah, my energy's just sort of been diverted to other places right now. And For sure, it does right. take a lot of time to you know scrub through all that footage and you know. Um, edit it and I'm not that good at it so it probably takes me <laughs> twice as long um, to to do it so yeah yeah I'll get there eventually yeah so what what's the timeline for the Spangled Drongo um hoping where, we'll, where you at with it yeah hoping we'll get beer shortly um um I think our own beer that we're going to do is is going to be at least a year before um you know, we still have to wait for DA to get approved. And once DA gets approved, then we can push the button on ordering equipment. What's, what's DA? Uh, development application. So sure. for every, you know, build, um, you have to ask the council, is this okay? And then the council comes back saying, yes or no, you got to change this. Um, so once that comes back, then we can, um, we get the confirmation where we can order the equipment. Um, order the equipment, that takes, you know, 20 weeks. And then once that arrives... Do the build and then start brewing beer. So it's a good year off um, before anything's actually in your mouth. Um, it's important the year though to take because you yeah. you'll get a lot of marketing and yeah. recipes and stuff done all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of home brewing and I'm going to try and do some contract brewing as well. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so just brew it um, a, a local brewery or somewhere else and, um, yeah, just try and drum up a bit of interest. And, yeah, it's really exciting. 
Well, the thing I found, I don't know how much of this you want to talk about because I know you've got... Like, yeah, let's talk. Because yeah. one of the things I, I loved about the idea, aside from just the name of the Spangled Drongo, was whenever I go to a pub or a microbrewery, um, I don't want to name anyone's. I don't often go oh, to yeah. them. But you, you go to the taps and you're surrounded by or you're confronted with you know, half a dozen or ten choices of beer. And I don't know what fuck it. I don't know. I d- and I always go, it's just too much. It's yeah. too much choice. And I find it quite over. And I feel like I'm the only person in the world that has this problem that I go to the bar and I'm, I feel like I am the only one that's at the bar going, what the fuck do I want to drink? I don't know. And I don't know what, I don't know what it all means. I feel like I've got to be a, a, a real beer connoisseur to know what it is that I want. And I, it's just not me, you know. And, and the, one of the things I loved about the idea with the brewery was sort of combating that in a way by having a, a not you weren't having 10 beers. Nah, definitely not. Um, so I want to start with, you know, approachable, very easy drinking beers. Um, my go-to is a pale ale, you know, um, so there'll definitely be a pale ale. Um, I do love hoppy beers as well, like really hoppy beers, like IPAs. Um, so that might be on a, on a, you know, like a seasonal, like a um, rotating tap kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, and then, you know, an easy drinking lager style beer as well. So, yeah, there should be like a, a really easy, clean, crisp, dry um, session beer. And then there should be a fruity, easy drinking pale ale. And that's sort. it. Yeah, and then like a rotational. So, yeah, that that to start with. Um, and, yeah, nothing too confusing out there. Um, I think um, a lot of the time you can go to breweries and then you're put off by the wrong decision that you made at the, at the bar because you ordered like, you know, as 8%, you know, dark ale of some sort that's just... You just don't not what you, you want. just don't compute with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so simple, easy drinking, fresh, not oxidized, uh, not stale, just fresh beer. Yeah, it's a pretty good sell, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was just the, that was a, I thought it was pretty. That, yeah. that for me, aside from just someone that I know, just going out and doing that thing. That for me, that was like a, a big, a big plus. Just not having that conf- confrontational sort of amount of the, just that a sheer amount of choice I just don't know yeah I think um, you know a lot of people can get put off by craft beers as well just because they've got so many choices and then they end up going and ordering you know something really outlandish that may have been sitting there for a long time or is just oh, yeah. really challenging on the taste buds or it just isn't for them um, so you know I mean, when you're when you are a beer drinker, you should know um, the golden rule of beers is there's kind of really just two types of beers: there's ales and there's lagers. So just that in itself, um, you know, you should if you want a citrusy kind of floral um, tasting beer, get an ale. If you want a dry, clean, crisp, easy drinking beer, get a lager. Um, so. Those two things you should know, and um, you know a pale ale is a pretty safe option generally at a brewery. If you if you screw up a pale ale, you maybe most of your beers are probably not that good anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I generally start with a pale ale. 
Speak. How was it? How was the Kiwi pay? Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> travel. Did it travel well? Travelled well. Yeah, it did. It's not a bad beer, actually. Yeah. Montez is pretty good. It's been around for a while. It was only like Montez in New Zealand was known for like they had this really dark beer for a while. It was just like that and a draft. Uh, or just I think it was just Montez Lager and then it had a stout. And that was mm. just all they had for a long time. But yeah. now they've obviously they've branched off and they've got like a summer ale and right. this whatever the fuck this is. What is this specific? You just love your Kiwi beers, don't you? I've got to support, <laughs> support the Kiwis. Although it's, what is it? It's owned by a big conglomerate. Oh, I'm sure yeah, it is now. Yeah, they yeah. all are. But um, I know it's from New Zealand. I'm, that I'm passionate. But the other thing I liked about it as well was the spade. Oh, yeah, I like that bottle. It's a nice little thumb holder, isn't it? It's got like an embossed <laughs> spade on it, which is kind of cool. We've got pizza here or something. No, there's no pizza. Oh. What? There's not doing pizza tonight. Too uh, raining? Um, no, they were having trouble with their trailer. Oh, okay. Oh, they can't... What is it? How they deliver on trailers? No, they they stick a trailer with their wood bike. Yeah, they're like set oh. up. Mm. Down the street and just no make pizza. them right there usually. So that's a bummer. Oh. Yummies um, does pizza. It's only 6.30. Yeah, we could do yum yums yeah. or we could do. Um, Would they deliver? Uh, no, I don't think no, they do deliver. Oh, or we can just get um, from Flavor. Flavor do pizza. Flavor do pizza. pizza. Yeah. Okay, good idea. Yeah, cool. All right, on that, speaking of food, <laughs> um, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Mate. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been great. And um, yeah, it's been awesome having you up here, Kieran. Finally, uh, Figured out the mic situation as well. I feel pretty weird about that. No, that's so right. I think it worked. Good. I think it worked well, out. Well, if we, yeah, we might have to do it again if it doesn't. <laughs> we'll do it again. But uh, yeah, no, I was pretty stoked and uh, I'm glad that you make it, made it back from the amazing adventure. The, yeah, uh, it was. It was an amazing adventure. adventure. What's that word again in Japanese? Ikigai. Ikigai. The flow. The flow. State of flow. Ikigai. Is that the name of the podcast? <laughs> no, it should be. No, shouldn't it? But uh, yeah, thanks so much for jumping on the show. And um, again, if you need to check out uh, what Brian's going on, the Instagram is the best way to. Yeah, Adventures of Brian. Um, what else? That's about it. That's about it. Pretty chill. There's a, oh, there's a website, um, surfing map slash Brian KBS. Just, just, I don't know, Google my name. I'll put it down Something the bottom. If you want to check it out, there'll be like links and shit like that in the description yeah. down the bottom. It'll be pretty simple to follow. Plus, you're doing you wanted to you were doing a, you wanted to do a podcast as well. Yeah, um, so jump onto spangledrongo.com.au. Is that um, up now? Is that it live? Is up. Yeah, uh, you can get Same. a newsletter. Um, that's about it. And um, yeah, stay tuned for those podcasts as well. But I'll, when they go live, I'll paste the um, the link to that in oh, the great. description of this as well. Yeah, so that's whenever great. that goes up, it'll. It'll be up on there. It'll be sick. Well, and as soon as the beers start flowing, then you can come up for that podcast and you can do the taste tester. Okay. I'd love to. Great. It sounds fucking sick. <laughs> All right, brother. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. Please. Yeah.